Welcome to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Headland, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, unless you're making corn gruel. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Um, and a person ready to talk turkey. Um, today's guest is third-generation turkey farmer, John Peterson. Welcome to Food Freedom Radio, John. Thank you so much, Laura. I'm happy to have the chance to be on and always happy to have the chance to talk turkey as we head to Thanksgiving. Right, right. And we're so happy to have uh, have, have you with. And, uh, I mean, you are an independent turkey farmer, third generation. Is that common? Is that the way that most turkey and poultry are sold in our big box stores? Well, the uh, the short answer is no. That's, that's not common. Uh, we're increasingly rare i oftentimes say we're kind of the you know the dinosaurs uh left in this type of farming but there's actually a a lot that we could unpack there um but i mean first of all the way that we grow our turkeys is is pretty uncommon today uh still having our birds outdoors and uh, raised without antibiotics um and we can like i say jump into that more deeply as we go but the other piece that's so uncommon is that we are an independent farm that sells directly to consumers um you know, I think we've all driven down the road and seen a, you know, a farm on the roadside um, and have no ability to purchase product that that farm may grow. Um, most commonly in today's sort of integrated and consolidated ag space, um, most of those farms are selling to a processor where, you know, their product loses any identity from the farm. And so it's incredibly unique for us to really be connected, we'd like to say, from farm to table, uh, where we're the, you know, we're the grower and uh, we know where our turkey ends up, and likewise, a, a consumer um, has traceability back to both where the turkey came from and the practices that were used um, in raising it. So it's not only our practices, but also the model that we're using that um, that makes us awfully rare in today's world. And this knowing each other and, and knowing where our food comes and knowing our farmers, it's 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 very rich on so many levels. Absolutely. And uh, I think... Oftentimes, it's approached from the standpoint of the consumer and consumers wanting to know um, not only where did this come from, but how, you know how was this animal or, or produce, whatever the case might be, how how was it raised, how was it cared for, and how you know how was the the land treated and the workers treated, um, and I think that's a good lens to to use to think of it from the consumer standpoint. But I'll just say, uh, as a farmer, I think it's one of the things that is so missing for most. Most farmers, the vast majority of farmers today, regardless of whether they're, you know, raising a poultry or livestock or a, a crop or produce, um, they of course have no idea where that product ends up, um, or who you know who might be enjoying it or appreciating the, you know, the effort that that farmer has put into to growing it. And so, you know, not only is it valuable for the consumer, but I think on the other side of that equation, you know, as a as a farm family, we take a lot of pride in knowing where you know, where our turkey ends up and knowing that it is both nourishing folks and uh, that people see the difference in how we're doing things. So uh, you're right, that relationship is important on, on both sides of the equation, Laura. Perhaps the most vital work is how do we create this self-sufficient ecosystem? And this is exactly what Ferndale's been doing. How do we how do we grow most of our food here so that we know each other and, and have that economy where we're, um, it's almost like a care-first economy where, you know, we're feeding ourselves in a way that honors each other and that we know each other, right? Yeah, I uh, I agree. I, I will say it's it's not easily done, and that you know our our food infrastructure is not set up this way. You know, the 
ironically, the cheapest food oftentimes comes from the farthest away. Um, but we have really, uh, you know, tried to put our flag in the ground on local and uh, not only in the products that we carry in the store, but I think one of the best ways that we've been able to, um, you know, to believe that we're, we're making a difference is all of our processing with our turkey products is done at independent Minnesota turkey processor, independent Minnesota processors, um, some that would handle other, other species, not just turkey. Um, but, you know, everything from, uh, you know, our primary processing facility to, you know, the Lawrence Meats in Cannon Falls that makes all of our smoked turkey breasts or a facility that makes sausages for us, all, all of those are fellow independent Minnesota companies. And so, we do believe that, you know, the economic piece of sustainability is important, too. And if we can help sustain these fellow Minnesota businesses that are charting a similar path, um, we hope that we're, we're helping to fuel that ecosystem that, that we want to see here. Yeah, so here's one statistic um, that uh, the four large meat packers companies went from controlling um, less than a third of the market in 1980, so not that long ago, to uh, well over 70 80% today. So that type of concentration, it, 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 I don't know. It just, it's not something I want to support. I mean, other people may want to support it, but I don't want to support it because I don't trust it. Yeah. Yep. And uh, and I again think that's part of what what was revealed um, earlier this spring, and uh, again gives us uh, more encouragement to you know to stay on the the path that we are on, um, doing something. We believe very differently. And now I want to talk about, let's, let's get rid of some turkey stuff. Um, so we've talked about that the turkeys are outside with fresh pasture and also no antibiotics. Yes. So, again, there's a, there's a couple different layers that, you know, that we can unpack this one on. But, um, you know, over the, over the course of time, uh, you know, poultry were oftentimes being routinely fed antibiotics just to speed their growth, um, not for any sort of a, you know, uh, medical or therapeutic kind of a reason, just to, you know, just to speed growth. And I, I do think that that has been, um, you know, on the decline over the past number of years. But, um, you know, in the in the world of conventional poultry, um, you know, there are still plenty of plenty of reasons that a, a farmer might use antibiotics. And uh, we, as a family, are so proud uh, that our Raised Without Antibiotics claim is a start-to-finish, never-ever um, USDA-certified, literally starting with the egg in the incubator all the way through to the finished product, um, ensuring that our turkeys have never had um, antibiotics or growth promotants. And, uh, you know, I mentioned the growth-promoting piece earlier, but, you know, for us, um, it's really a, a check on our, our husbandry and our welfare um, to say that we're we're able to grow turkeys um, in partnership with nature in a good environment um, and provide everything that that they need uh, without needing um, you know antibiotic interventions. Um, so so it's a lot of a lot of pride for us um, not only on the growth promoting piece um, but to say that we're we're keeping our birds well uh, without the need of anything artificial. Yeah, there's been a lot written about that. You know, antibiotics, about 80% are used on the farm animals, and then now there's more antibiotic resistance. And so really appreciate that all your turkeys don't use antibiotics because there's so many consequences to that um, common practice. Um, another thing about your turkeys is they're deep chilled, never frozen. What does that mean? Yes, yeah, so we, uh, it's a great question um, and one that we get a lot this time of year. So we do, we do have frozen products at other points in the year, of course, if you want to buy a, you know, a frozen turkey in, 
uh, or a turkey in the middle of summer, it, it would in all likelihood be a frozen turkey. But this time of year, heading toward Thanksgiving, um, we we raise flocks specifically for uh, the Thanksgiving holiday, and so we provide those as a fresh, never frozen uh, Thanksgiving turkey. And uh, you're right, Laura. The term that we use is deep chill fresh because they've never been frozen. Um, but we're also not using any preservatives or anything like that. Uh, so our, our best means to ensure that they are, are fresh um, on Thanksgiving Day is to hold them at about 30 degrees or so, 30 to 32 degrees um, in our cooler. So they, of course, never freeze, but they can get um, almost a little, you know, ice crust just on the, just on the exterior um, to ensure that, that they are at peak freshness um, by the time that a family sits down to to the Thanksgiving table on Thanksgiving. Yeah, but uh, staying safe in these times are so, so important. And um, so um, I want to talk more about um, uh, the history of Ferndale um, turkey. Um, so your your grandfather started this with a simple vision of healthy turkeys affordable to American families. Yeah, my, my grandpa was named Dale. Um, and uh, I'll give away the punchline here and say that Shortly after he started our farm, he met my grandmother, and her name was Fern. And so Fern and Dale were my grandparents, so that's where Ferndale comes from. And, of course, a fun story and a story we're awfully proud of um, that my grandparents got us started 80 years ago, 81 years ago. Um, and uh, we're, we're still here and at it today, um, you know, farming on the same farm and in the same way that, that they did. And uh, you're right, just a quick bit of background about my my grandfather he grew up um in a big family in rural north dakota um during the depression years and of course you know food was scarce and meat was particularly scarce and so he saw uh, turkey as a way to to raise a, an inexpensive protein so the average american family would be able to um, to put meat on the table and uh the practices that he used when he got us started in 1939 um, were not unique. He was not trying to go into a specialty market per se. Um, everybody in that era would have grown their turkeys outdoors. So John Peterson from Ferndale Turkey. We'll take a break and we'll be right back with John Peterson with Ferndale Turkey. Headline, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap unless you're doing corn grill, and a person on Talking Turkey. Today's uh, um, guest is third-generation turkey farmer John Peterson. And, John, when we went on break, we were talking about your grandfather. So let's talk some more about your grandfather and his vision. Um, how, how did he start this turkey farm, and what was life like for him? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think when we went to break, I was... I was sort of saying that, uh, you know, when he got started in 1939, um, growing turkeys in the, the way that he did wouldn't have been unique at all. Um, you know, turkeys would have been grown outdoors. They would have been grown without antibiotics or growth promotants. Um, and so he didn't see himself as somebody who was entering into a specialty market. Um, 
I don't think he would have, you know, would have considered himself to be a pioneer in that regard. Um, but the funny thing that's happened, and you know this, Laura, but after over the last 80 years, it's really the agricultural world around us that has changed so much. Um, and so we sort of now find ourselves doing something that's very different uh, than the mainstream. Um, but it's it's not because we've sought that out so much as the fact that um, you know most most poultry production has moved to confinement and most uh, poultry production has moved to more of a you know vertically integrated uh, type of a system and uh, so today um, what we're doing looks looks awfully unique um, but it wasn't necessarily by design um, I think we've just maintained the same practices and values um, that we got started with and uh, that brings us to today where uh, where consumers are increasingly interested and aware of uh, where their where their food is being grown and how it's being produced and uh, thankfully for us we've we've been able to find um, a customer base that appreciates the difference and and supports us and allows us to sustain the practices that that we have used for all of these years so let's let's really explore what those differences are um, so one of the differences is access to the outdoors and fresh pasture pasture so how does that work at ferndale turkey yeah it, it looks um, there are a couple different ways it looks um, based on the time of year so I'll tell you um, like early spring and uh, late fall our turkeys would be indoor outdoor where they would they would always have access to the outdoors um, and they would have a, a building that they could come back to um, on days where the you know the weather changes quickly or um, you know that early spring late fall you get the you know freak snowstorm or something like that uh, we need to have uh, cover that they can come back to but um, that uh, that's sort of our you know shoulder season kind of a, an environment where they're indoor outdoor and then during the peak summer months we move our turkeys completely out to range um, where they're on a, a pasture it's called range in the world of poultry but uh, but they're out on a pasture and uh, they have portable shelters portable feeders portable waters and we actually move all of that equipment and the birds onto fresh grass each week all summer long so then it's a rotational uh, system where we're never overusing any one part of our range ground and uh, keeping the turkeys on both good dry grass and uh, good forage. And uh, both of those um, environments, whether they're completely out on pasture or you know heading toward, toward Thanksgiving, the indoor-outdoor, um, our standard for our free-range program is built upon the organic standard. Um, and so all of our uh, free-range um, practices exceed uh, what an organic uh, turkey would would need to do to achieve organic certification. And that's important to know because I know some of the stuff I've heard some, you know, rumblings that, um, you know, what we would sometimes think of, you know, sometimes there's some almost organic washing going on. Um, with some of these large entities, you're like, well, that's not what I thought I was buying when I was buying cage-free. I didn't think that meant they had just a little um, little area that they might be able to get to, but most of them are not. So, to and, and then that's part of what we talked about earlier is to actually know each other and to know the standards are are critical. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean we we want to have integrity behind um, that label claim on the package. Um, I mean, I, I think you can trust uh, you know trust the packaging because USDA does have you know does have standards. Um, but you're exactly right. Um, there are, you know, there are different uh, degrees to which these things may be being done, and uh, so we want to make sure that we're doing it in a way that we would be we would be happy and proud to show any of our any of our customers what's happening. 
So having the turkeys outside and rotated is better for the land? We sure believe so, yeah. We're we're really fortunate. Um, you know, I talked about my grandpa earlier, but he picked a farm that was so well suited to do exactly what we're doing here. We have really sandy soil, which means that our turkeys are are on good dry ground even, you know, even when we get heavy rains um, or lots of precipitation. It drains really well. Um, you know, turkeys are like any species where we we don't want them out um, in mud holes or out uh, you know out where disease could be easily spread. So I'll say at the outset, we're really fortunate to have good ground to do what we're doing, um, and we know that that's that's an advantage. Um, sort of a you know secret weapon that that my grandpa was wise enough to identify all those all those decades ago. Um, but we do believe that it's it's better for our ground because it's really a, a closed loop. Um, you know, one of the one of the issues that most farmers deal with is what you know what to do with manure. Um, and uh, in our system, our turkeys are fertilizing when they're out on pasture. They're fertilizing the ground for the turkeys that will come right behind it. And we never need to use any other chemical inputs um, or anything synthetic at all on our ground um, because the the turkeys close that loop on both sides. And that being humble and learning from nature instead of trying to control nature is so key. I mean, I was really happy that Dr. Rattan Law won the 2020 Food Prize because I think it indicates a, a real shift that's going on. And again, uh, Dr. Rattan Law, um, he talks about soil first. And yes, when you have animals on the soil, it helps because the manure, like you say, is a closed system, but that's actually naturally fertilizing the land. And it, it helps regenerate the soil. Yeah, absolutely. Nope we uh, we have beautiful you know lush green uh, pasture grass uh, when we when we first let our birds out and then they you know they both eat it down and wear it down. Um, but all the while they're they're fertilizing it uh, for the the flock that will come behind them. We you know we do our part by moving them across the ground at the right pace um, and then giving it enough rest between between flocks running across it. Um, but you're right. Nature nature takes care of all the rest if, if we manage it properly. So sometimes people use the word regenerative farming, um, uh, like the CEO of General Mills talks about how about half of the topsoil in the world has been depleted. And so this type of regenerative farming that's promoted by experts like the, like the winner of the 2020 World Food Prize, Dr. Rattan Law, um, it does so much benefits. It helps water. It helps counter climate change. This is what your grandfather was doing, though, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, you know, like I said earlier, you know, doing doing it before it had a name or before it was uh, was cool. Um, this this was farming, um, and uh, again, I think that it's more of a more of an insight into how much has changed in the world of farming um, than you know than how uniquely we're doing things um, because this is this is how how he did it because it, it was the way that it was done. Yeah. So, um, and uh, from history, it's it's from 1945 to 1988, two million fewer, fewer owners of U.S. agriculture. Farmers were told to get big or get out. <sighs> that just had so many consequences, that way of thinking. Our sweetest dream is how to help small farmers and independent farmers and the whole system work in a way that honors water as life. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Now, 
Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Headland. Thanks to uh, John Peterson with Ferndale Turkey. Um, and you can go to ferndalemarket.com and see all the retail locations and even some local restaurants uh, that are serving Ferndale Turkey for this Thanksgiving. And uh, especially at Seward Co-op. Um, both Seward Co-op stores are going to be open on Thanksgiving, Thursday, November 24th, but they will have shortened hours, so they're closed at 4 o'clock. So... Um, have an awesome Thanksgiving, and, and remember uh, Ferndale Turkey and Seward Co-op. Um, now joining us is farmer Deanna Lo- Lozenski, um, and so welcome to Food Freedom Radio, Deanna. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Laura. Yeah, thanks so much. So tell us a little bit uh, about your farm and yourself. Sure. Uh, well, like you said, um, my name is Deanna, and I farm with my husband, Kelly, in central North Dakota, and we are... Um, operating a 2,000-acre plant-based grain farm. Uh, my husband's fourth generation on the farm. And uh, we grow a variety of crops on any given year. This year it was small grains, oats, barley, um, wheat, and then we grow some heritage grains also. Uh, so we grow an Egyptian hollis barley. That's I call it naked barley because it actually just when we when we combine it, it comes right out of the hull, which is mm. kind of unusual for um, an ancient grain. And we grow um, spelt, which is also an ancient grain, and uh, a French heritage variety called Rouge de Bardo. And um, we um, operate our farm using um, practices and principles that are being defined as regenerative. So um, basically, we're if we're if we can take care of the soils, the soil will take care of us, and that's kind of at the forefront of everything we do on the farm. Yeah, that whole idea of healthy soil. In fact, one of the things you put on uh, on your website is it's time for the old lie. The old lie is good farming equals money cropping and big yields to go by the wayside, with a new truth emerging: healthy soils plus healthy people equal good farming. Right, and I fully believe that. Um, I think that uh, as farmers, and, and for a long time for us too, we were driven by yield. And so everything, all the decisions we made on the farm were um, in effort to get better yields, right? So and I, 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 can, I jokingly call it moron farming, the way we were farming before. <laughs> but all that means is that we just were continually putting more on. Um, more fertilizer on, more insecticide, more seed treatments, more fungicide, more sprayer passes, um, all all of the things and just more of it, right, in efforts to push yield. Uh, because that's what we've been told as farmers is that you have to raise all of these bushels because we need to feed a growing world. The problem is we are feeding a growing world um, grains that it can be nutrient deplete or not um, as healthy as they could be if we were focusing on soil health first. So um, you put out on, on LinkedIn this week that, um, and I'm, I'm quoting from what you wrote on LinkedIn, this hard red spring wheat from our 2,000-acre plant-based farm grows growing using regenerative practices is being, lower, is being loaded and will be delivered to our local grain elevator where it will be commingled with other red wheat that may have had these chemicals and these fertilizers pumped with synthetic fertilizers and pesticides. 
quote, we can grow it, but there is no market. So tell us about your experience. Mm. So you were growing on the regenerative <laughs> stuff, but then you can't sell it for the extra. There's there's not really the market for it. Right. So, you know, and I have to back up and tell you that the reason we started on this more natural approach to farming was to benefit our farm, right? Because if we did the right things for the soil and tried to stay out of the way of what nature is doing, then it would benefit our farm, right? right. So that is that the, that is why we started doing this. Um, and it was only a couple of years ago that um, we decided um, to start offering our grains directly to consumer. And that was... That was so that people could benefit directly from our growing practices and that they could spend their buying dollars supporting farming that was also um, supporting climate health, right? So, um, and we have continued to deliver a majority of our grain to the commodity market. Some of our small, like our yellow peas and things that goes into a food grade and and the other thing is, um, I want to mention that the commodity market, we're still growing food. Um, and I think that gets lost when we're, when we're looking at 70, 80, 90 bushel wheat. We forget that we're actually growing food and um, that we need to be able to still put that on our plate. And um, so we deliver most of our small grains to the local elevator and and that's like I was saying that it gets commingled uh, with conventional grains, which aren't necessarily bad. I'm not. I'm mm-hmm. not um, saying that there's anything wrong with them, but some of them may have been sprayed with a D, you know, pre-harvest desiccant, and some of them may have been, or most of them maybe are pumps with fertilizer could have been sprayed with insecticide. I mean, there's lots of things. And so, um, my post on LinkedIn was to help gain awareness that there are growers like us out here, but that we're still delivering to the same end, you know, the the same um, elevator that we had been before. And so there's no way of really separating ours from a conventional grain. And that's why we started selling little bits, a fraction of a percent, right, of the grains that we grow, grow we sell direct to consumer. And that was to really give us the chance to see where the food, where our grain ends up and also to help consumers um, gain traceability. And so they can, we can pretty much tell them what field this came off of and um, transparency. So if they have any questions, we, they can ask us anything. Um, and that's the part of being um, that farmers aren't really used to because we don't, directly delivered to consumers is being asked a lot of questions. And so um, we are happy to answer questions about our growing practices. And, um, you know, it it's kind of an evolving system, which I think that means we might be doing something right in our, in our effort is that because nature is always changing and, and evolving. And so if our efforts and our farming pra- practices are doing the same, maybe we're on the right track. Well, and let's let's all hope for the day when um, conventional when conventional means um, farming for healthy soil, and that that is just oh, understood. Absolutely, absolutely. 
So, right? And I right. think that's an, an end goal for sure. Yeah. So tell us a bit, uh, 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 tell us about how people can buy directly from you then. You have some small grains that are being directly sold to consumers. Sure. So how do, what, sure. what's on your market and how do people get them? Sure. So we do sell um, whole grains. That's hard red spring wheat, Egyptian hullus barley. That's our naked barley. Uh, we sell uh, spelt. Rouge de Bardot, that's a hard red wheat. We sell all of those whole grains um, on our website, which is www.guardiangrains.com. And uh, then we also sell all the flour that goes with it. So we have a, a stone mill that, uh, that we use, and uh, we stone mill flour to order. So it's when, when the order is placed for uh, flour, we stone mill it, and then it ships nearly the same day. And that helps preserve the freshness and the nutrients of, of the whole grain. And so um, on our website, people can buy whole grain. They can buy stone-milled flour. And we also offer um, artisan pasta, which we produce with our French heritage wheat, which is the Rouge de Bordeaux. And what's, what's unique about our pasta is that we aren't extracting any of the nutrients. So when we mill that grain with our stone mill at a very low temperature and the flour comes out, it is full nutrition. So it has all the bran, all the germ um, from that wheat kernel. And then we add water and we produce it into three different shapes of pasta, macaroni, rotini, and this cool funky little um, radiator shape, um, which is my personal favorite. But so that's what makes our pasta different than anything else that you can find on the market is that it is a true whole grain pasta um, and it um, has all of the nu- nutrients that you need to be able to digest it. So like, have you ever noticed like if a lot of people complain about eating pasta because they don't feel very good afterwards or they'll feel like, oh, kind of sluggish and bloated and things like that. Well, Typically, um, your blonde pasta, that's the ones that you can see on most store shelves that don't say whole wheat pasta, they just say, you know, just pasta, that is made with a salmolina flour, which is just the endosperm of the wheat or durum that they're using. It's usually durum, but it's just the endosperm. So that endosperm is the very center of the kernel of the grain, and what is in there is starch and sugar. And so when we eat pasta blonde pasta that has been stripped of the germ and the bran. We've also taken away all of the nutrients and the digestibility. So it's very, so when your body is just like you eat, if we eat blonde pasta somewhere at a restaurant and then your body is like, um, I don't know what to do with this. So let me just set this on your hip for 20 years. Um, That's exactly what happens because it becomes unrecognizable to our body and we can't, it doesn't recognize it as digestible. And so with our artisan pasta being whole nutrition, uh, it is recognizable as digestible in our, in our body and in our gut microbiome, which is important. So that, and so all of those things can be purchased on our website. And so um, um, tell me again about how is the way that you grow grains different than some of your conventional or some of the neighbors how, how is it different sure that would be helpful right yeah <laughs> so um so we have been um using no-till practices on our farm so as minimal disturbance as possible when we seed that crop so um we have a no-till disc drill 
and it just slices the soil open just far enough to put place the seed. So that's how our we've been doing that for over 20 years with just the no-till principles. Um, and now um, we've added to that, we have been able to eliminate um, fertilizer altogether. So we don't use any sort of synthetic fertilizer, but we're also not applying any organic fertilizer like manure or compost either. Um, and so, um, and no seed treatments. We don't use any insecticide ever. We don't use any fungicide ever and no pre-harvest desiccant. So um, our grains that we grow on any given year are grown one and they're grown with biology only. Soil biology is what is growing our crop and producing the grain. So whatever nutrients are in the soil can then be transferred into the plant and to, to produce the grain. So that's what makes our um, farming practices, even in the regenerative circles, quite different is that we've eliminated um, this fertilizer source and we're allowing the plants to feed directly from the nutrients that are in the soil without interrupting them. Wow, that sounds, I, I, I know the phrase, no cost natural farming is kind of sweeping the globe because it's like, well, doesn't that sound <laughs> okay, fun? We're going to take a break shortly, right, but no. I want to I come back sure. and I want to hear about what your neighbors think. And, and I also want to do kind of a deep dive on um, how to eat barley and some of these grains because they're actually a very affordable way to eat healthy food. And as we're all facing um, food inflation, um, learning to cook with grains and legumes it's healthy it's nutritious and it's also pretty darn cheap (laughs) you're listening to food freedom radio on am 950 the progressive voice of minnesota i'm laura headland and we're talking with farmer deanna lozinski from north dakota Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, and we're talking with uh, fourth-generation farmer Deanna Lozinski uh, from North Dakota. And when we want to break, you were talking about your farm doesn't use fertilizers. Um, it, it's practicing all about soil biology and healthy soil. Um, so what, are your, what do the neighbors think? Um, how, 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 what type of response are you getting from that farming practice? It Well, um We've always been kind of the ones that the neighbors watch. My husband's always been very innovative, and so when he brought no-till onto the farm um, and into our neck of the woods um, 20-some years ago, he was always known as the weird farmer, right? So Mm -hmm. that hasn't changed. Um, We get um, a lot. I wish we'd get more questions, actually, from our neighboring farmers, Um, but... I think it's a good sign when they see us out there um, with minimal passes across the field and then still being out there to combine our crop and having our bins full and grain bags full and, you know, moving grain off of the field. I think it speaks for itself. But as of right now, we're still the ones doing that weird type farming um, which is nothing new for my husband. Like I said, he's been innovating a long time, so that he's just kind of used to being kind of the sitting duck out here. But um, but for four so generations, I, I do, so uh, right. <laughs> so I do wish we had more farmers asking us, "Hey, like, why are you doing this?" Um, and so, but we don't currently. Um, 
so it we just get a lot of raised eyebrows like oh what is he you know what what are Lozinski's doing now yeah. um so it, That's great. It is. We're the weird farmers, right? Well, and I'm going to say this sentence. I love this sentence. Good farming equals monocropping and big yields needs to go by the wayside with a new truth emerging. Healthy soils plus healthy people equals good farming. And that whole health and well-being with the farming. And I want to talk because um, a lot of people are feeling kind of stressed right now because food prices are so high. But there are things to do with like barley that – are incredibly affordable and healthy. So you want to talk about some of the different grains and how people can incorporate eating more grains into their diet? Oh, absolutely. And do you, I don't know if you know this, but just the other day was na- um, National Whole Grain Day. So hmm. um, it, it's kind of an interesting topic. It was actually International Whole Grain Day. But the um, so whole grains are a great option um, for nutrition. So like, and there are lots of different ways you can make it. So, like, for instance, our naked barley. Uh, I have a lot of customers that buy that for soup. And and when they make soup, they put barley in it. And it's a huge addition for protein. So our naked barley comes in at 17 to 18% protein. So that is a huge number. Um, and so I have a lot of customers who are um, plant-based. And so those high protein grains are really benefiting them and they're can they can be boiled just like rice and then enjoyed as any way you could use rice you can use whole grain you can use barley that way you can use spelt that way you can use hard red spring wheat that way and it's just boiled and you can use it like rice and you can throw it on top of salads instead of nuts you can use it on top of salads and it adds like a little crunch to your salad so that's really a cool way to do it. And like I said, into soups is a good way. There's also, I also have recipes on my website too that, um, even for, um, a hard red spring wheat dessert, dessert salad. So you can even make desserts out of these, uh, whole grains. And so, um, it can really be, and like you said, they're inexpensive. When you're talking about, um, the whole grain, a serving size is a, a quarter cup. Now that's not very much, and so, um, and it goes a long way as far as a nutritional benefit and how satiating it is, right? So whole grains keep us fuller longer; they keep us like keep us from snacking less. And one of the ways that we've been using our naked barley is as a breakfast food. So um, it can be cooked like oatmeal. And then enjoy just the same way you would make oatmeal. You can make um, Egyptian hullus barley and you can have it that way as a breakfast food. And that has been, um, it took my husband from being a bacon and eggs kind of guy to now all he wants is barley for breakfast. And that's a true story. That's what he eats. And it also eliminated his 10 o'clock snack that he used to have um, when he was eating eggs and bacon. So it does, it changes, it changes how we eat. And the nutritional well, benefit can't be ignored. Well, and how is, uh, barley has been, it's an ancient grain um, with origins that date back over 10,000 years. Um, it has the protein, the iron, the zinc, the B vitamins, and fiber. So, um, yeah, so that's great. Well, and, and the, yeah. Yes. And so, and the barley, that the, our, this Egyptian hullus barley, the naked barley, it predates wheat. So it has been around a long time. And it's really a uh, awesome plant to grow in our fields because the root structure is so robust and awesome. 
and the plant mass is just wild. I also call it wild barley because it just looks wild in the field and it covers up the soil so well just because of the biomasses and the leaf mass is so huge. So the other thing that um, barley contains is beta-glucan. Beta-glucan is um, something that signals your immune system response. So it's really important to have beta-glucan in your system so that way if you're getting a cold or the flu, it'll send a system response to be like, hey, we need to be active it and it activates your immune system. So those are really important things to be um, considering, especially um, for human health is the beta-glucan. And beta-glucan can also be found in oats. Oh, well, um, the difference know. with... Yep. We grew and we did grow oats this year. Um, and I had we had grown oats because I told my husband I said I want to offer oatmeal to our customers and do a Guardian Grains oatmeal for breakfast. And this was prior to us having made barley for breakfast. And so we he I found in the seed we planted it, and in the meantime I had run out of the oatmeal that he was making me for breakfast. And I said, could you make me barley instead? And he's like, sure, whatever, I'll make you barley. So he made the barley, and I got hooked on it, and I was like, you know what? You really have got to try this. And that's when he started eating barley and switched from eggs and bacon to eating barley. But the um, it's just really a the – diff- the reason we started offering barley and skipped out on the oats, the oats has a whole processing issue of dehauling, which I have a dehauler, but it's an extra step to remove the outside seed coat from the oats so that we can actually use it in our bodies. So there is that. There's an extra processing step that the that the naked barley doesn't have. The second part is that the naked naked barley is high in protein, 17 to 18 percent, whereas my milling oats that we grew this year were 11 percent protein, which is pretty common for a milling oat. Uh, but the it well, the barley really packs a nutritional and a protein punch. Deanna, um, unfortunately, we're out of time, but uh, I really appreciate uh, learning about your 2,000 acre farm in North Dakota and people again your website is Guardian Grains yes www.guardiangrains.com thank you so much for having me on Laura well thank you and it, it, it's it, it's it's a fun story I mean it's I, I love barley it's uh, and and eating more barley and 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 growing it without fertilizers I got to think that uh, um, I mean, it's, it just makes me feel hopeful about the future if we can start eating in ways that really recognize the linkages between healthy soil and healthy bodies. It means more health and wellness for all. So, but thank you so much, Deanna Lozenski, and thank you for listening to Food Freedom Radio.